Amen. Good morning, Harlem. Isn't it good to see Dylan up here singing? Wasn't it even awesome to see him sing last week? Nobody great. Searched all over. I was waiting for him to do that. Like, Amen. This is all good. This is all good. Maybe next time. I already put a plug in for Diamond. For Sovereign God, so I put her on notice about that one. Have everybody in there crying, right? Let's go to God with the word of prayer. I have a message for you that I believe will encourage us, challenge us, and call us higher. Amen? Let's pray. God in heaven, Father, we want to thank you for uh, giving us another day. We want to thank you, Father, for all the lives that have been spared and those who have been rescued in the multiple uh, natural disasters over the past uh, six uh, six weeks. And God, we just pray that you'll continue to be with the uh, rescue efforts and the recovery efforts and the the rebuilding efforts across uh, the Caribbean and Puerto Rico and and Texas, God. And and, uh, we we ask, God, we, we just ask that you will send your spirit to hover over all the world, God, to uh, just to heal all the suffering, God. We know that if anyone can do that, it's you. And, Father, we ask that you will use us as your hands uh, while we're here on earth to serve those who are in need. God, let my words be yours as we take captive our thoughts and make them obedient to you, Father. We pray that you will give us the strength, that you will give us the faith that we need to do that so we can worship you and love you with all of our mind. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, amen. We're going to uh, conclude our... Mind Control Series of Loving the Lord, Our God, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, uh, you know, all the year we've been focusing on Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Our overall theme for the year was vertical, learning how to take our walk with God higher. And uh, we've gotten very practical uh, over the uh, last nine months or so. And I do want to encourage us to continue to go over those notes uh, you know, to continue to work on those areas in your life, only you really know where we need to take it higher for God, right? And I think also thanking God for the victories that you've had in loving the Lord with all your heart and loving the Lord with all your soul. Loving the Lord. I had a victory just on my way here this morning. So I just want you guys to know that I'm not just preaching to you. I'm actually putting this stuff into practice. I had to take captive some thoughts this morning. And I'm not going to tell you what they are. You just need to pray and trust that I'm working on my relationship with God, too. But we need to learn to take captive every thought is what the Bible says. And honestly, I think this is probably the most intriguing and the most difficult at the same time. You know, it's funny because in the Old Testament, when Moses and, and, and God sent the message to Moses to love the Lord, your God, he only, told, he only commanded that they love the Lord with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their strength. But Jesus comes along and messes everything up. Jesus said, you know what? Let me fulfill that. Let me, let me just in, embellish on that just a little bit. Let's be complete here. I want you to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and let's throw your mind in there. Because let's be honest, most of the battles you and I face are right here. It's right here. Our thoughts. And if we're honest too, it's going to be hard for us to love the Lord our, our God with all our heart until we deal with this first. Because our hearts and our feelings center around the thoughts that we have. You think happy thoughts, how do you feel? You feel happy, right? You think angry thoughts, how do you feel? You know, it's a very special person that can think angry thoughts and still be happy. They might appear to be happy, but on the inside, it's like a volcano stewing. Somebody agree with me right there, right? She said, I tried, brother. It didn't work. You're right. In his letter to the Corinthians, 
Paul gives a simple directive for control, for, for controlling negative and unspiritual thoughts. You know, as a disciple, when you're baptized into Christ Jesus, your bad thinking does not automatically go away. I wish that was the case. But we continually have to battle and wrestle with our thoughts. And in 2 Corinthians, see, this is why it's good for, oh, hey, man, I was about to say, this is good why it's good for you to bring your own Bibles. As you see here in the cartoon behind me, this is a brother trying to practically take captive his thoughts. But we're going to talk more spiritual. So talk, turn to your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3. You know, personally, I feel like this is probably the most difficult thing for me personally to do because I have a lot of thoughts. I'm what you call an overthinker. I have an overactive imagination. I am a very deep thinker. Sometimes I think too deep. And where you think, you know, you're, you're talking, somebody's like, yeah, bro, I'm not, it's not that deep. But, you know, I tend to go deep because I'm like, well, what's the, you know, what's, I need to know what's going on. What's the root? What's the core? And it's like, it's just, you know, it's not that deep. But so I have to constantly, you know, wrestle with my thoughts to figure out what's true versus what's a lie. And, and it, I don't know if you, if you can relate to that, but Paul tells us that we are in a battle, that we are, in fact, in a spiritual war, and most of it takes place in our minds. The verse 3 says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You know, Paul said take captive every thought. He said leave no thought uncaptured. He says that we are at a war. We are at war, and a spiritual battle is taking place in our minds. The encouraging thing is that God has equipped us for this battle. God has set us up to win. He's given us spiritual weapons that have the power to demolish those strongholds that Satan sets up in our minds. But we got to use them. What good is a weapon if you, can't, if you don't use it? See, these weapons have divine power. They can demolish ungodly thoughts that control our minds. And as a result, we are to encourage to not only take them captive, but make them prisoners to Jesus Christ. So it's not enough to just stop thinking. Now you have to train your thoughts to think spiritually. There's a word for that, and it's called repentance. Your repentance starts where? Right here. Someone sits you down. They teach you about sin. And when you see the impact that sin has in your life and lives around those around you, you start to make decisions about how you view sin. And the decisions you make leads to a change in your heart because now you realize how destructive sin is. You're like, I don't want to do that anymore. I didn't realize how many people I was hurting because of my sin and how it uh, affected I was because of other people's sin. I, don't know, I want no part of sin anymore. So you start to make decisions. You start to make changes in your life because of the change in your mind. So I have two simple points this morning. One is take captive every thought. We can't afford to leave any thoughts running free in our minds. And then secondly, make them obedient to Christ. So let's look at our first one. Take captive every thought. Now, let me ask you this question. Why is taking captive every thought so important? Think about that. Why is it that Paul said to take captive every thought and not take captive some thoughts? Now, I think we all agree that there are some thoughts that are more harmful than others, right? But Paul says to take captive every thought and make them obedient to Christ. You know, this very directive is consistent with how God views sin in general. You know, the, the Jews were encouraged to sweep their homes, 
and, and, and rid their, their, their bread of yeast because they said a little yeast can ruin a whole batch of dough. And that one ounce of yeast, one bit, little bit of yeast can ruin the whole batch. Imagine that thought being yeast. If you leave one negative thought about your spouse in the corner of your mind, eventually it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. It grows. Or about your parents, it gets bigger and bigger. And then you find yourself saying things that you never thought you'd ever say. Because you allowed that little negative thought to go unchecked in your mind. We got to take captive every thought. Let me give you a little biblical reason for this. In Genesis chapter 6, you know, there was a time when God had created the world and everything was going good until we came along. And it's just something about people that we you know when you go out into the woods isn't it you know I, I have a spot where I go to in Yonkers and and I pray and and it's like I'm by the water and it's just it's just awesome and then you look and you know you're praying you're praising God for his creation the grass and the, the ducks and 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 the, the trees and then you look over and you see a plastic bottle and you're like man we can jack something up man I mean we can really mess up a beautiful thing and in Genesis chapter 5, we see a story here, an account where we messed something up. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, it says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. How did God feel about that? Verse 6, So the Lord was sorry. He had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I've created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing, all the people. The Lord, God got so upset, he even wanted to destroy the animals. They're like, what did we do? What did we, I'm just thinking about eating some grass. I'm not thinking... What do we do? Just shows you the gravity of our sin. It doesn't just affect us. And even the birds in the sky, I'm sorry I ever made them. But there was hope. Noah found favor with the Lord. There was one man out of all humankind who had thoughts that were pleasing to God. That may seem impossible but it's right there in the bible one man one person made a difference one person saved all of humanity because of his reverence for god that one person can be you you can change the atmosphere in your workforce just by the way you think and the attitude you bring now, because our sinful thinking is, is in our nature, and because it corrupts us, we have sinful thoughts all the time. That's why we've got to take capture every thought. We can't trust our thoughts. Jeremiah 17, 8 says that. Heart is deceitful. We've got to run our thoughts by people. We've got to send it through the screen of the Bible and, and make sure that it's not full of selfish ambition and, and evil things that can hurt people. I mean, even in spiritual settings... We have evil thoughts. Church, during communion, some of us are struggling with some thoughts. Sitting down, studying the Bible with somebody. There's a thought in the head that pops up in your head. We're prone to evil thoughts. It's our default. It's our natural setting. But in Noah's time, the evil thinking around him corrupted everything good that God had made. Up until then, sex was a good thing. God had made it to be enjoyed by a husband and his wife. Man came along, corrupted the whole thing. Corrupted the whole thing. And as we learned in the beginning of the, uh, of the year, the root of our sin 
There's a deep idol at the root of every sin. And I believe that there's a deep idol at the root of every sinful thought that we have. Paul calls them strongholds. The strongholds of control. The strongholds of comfort and significance are at the seat of every sinful thought, attitude, and action. And if we understand who we are and what we're susceptible to, we can take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Amen? You know, one author, one preacher put it as the strongholds are like mental blocks that keeps us from doing the will of God. You ever try to do God's will? I mean, really try, like try to will yourself to do it and it just didn't work? Like you just didn't do it? You know, I, I remember reading this book and he said, there's a quote from the author, John Offberg. He said in his book, Soul, Soul Winning, he said that willpower, he said habits eat willpower for breakfast. That quote stuck with me. You can want all you want, but your habits will dominate your willpower every single time. So we can really, 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 really want to do good, but it's our habits. What are your thoughts? What are your, your, your thought life like? What is it like? What are you in the habit of thinking? And you see, these strongholds, in order for us to praise God with our lives and our mind, they have to be demolished. We can't leave one stone unturned. They have to be destroyed if we're to love the Lord with all our minds. So what are these strongholds that need to be demolished? Well, control. This idol leaves behind a fortress of fear in our minds. And as a result, we become afraid to trust God and godly people. Why? Because we fear losing control. We rebel against God and his plan for our lives. And as a result of that, we want our religion to fit our lifestyle and not the other way around. We want the church's schedule to fit into our schedule, not having to make the sacrifice to make our schedule fit the church's schedule. We want all the Bible studies to fit in our perfect plan, our perfect ridge of, 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 of time frames. And, and, whoa, wait a second, you guys didn't let me know early enough that I need to be in this study or you didn't call me, you, everything is last minute. And, and you just, there is a level of out of control in the book of Acts. Have you ever read it? The people took the gospel wherever they went. Philip was inconvenienced. We're Christians for crying out loud. If someone asks you to be in a Bible study, it's because they want to help somebody know Jesus. It's not always going to fit in your perfect life. You know how many times I've gotten last-minute calls to do funerals? There's a need. I'm a disciple. I can meet that need. I'll move things around. Yes, it's bad to be in a habit of poor planning. That's not okay. But we got to change the way we think. We're so afraid of losing control of our lives and things that, that in our life, we want our, our Christianity to fit our lifestyle. That's not the way it works, people. That's not how it works. And you're always going to feel uncomfortable every time you try to make that happen. God is too big to fit in your schedule. God is too big to be contained by your little plans. You know, there's an example of this in the Old Testament. There was a man named King Saul. In 1 Samuel 28, verse 4, the Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all the Israelites and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. So Saul said to his attendants, find me a woman who was a medium so I can go and inquire of her. There is one in Endor, they said. Now what's happening here? War is upon the Israelites. And their enemies, the Philistines, have set up. They, they, they are breathing down their necks. 
And Saul had a stronghold of fear set up in his mind because he lost control. He had no control of the situation. Samuel, the prophet, was dead by this time. So he had no idea what to do. And so because he got desperate, he made some poor choices that eventually cost him his kingship and eventually cost him his life. You see, when fear grips us, we tend to make some very desperate decisions and some really bad choices because we fear losing control. He compromised because he was afraid. He deliberately disobeyed God's commands of seeking out mediums. God commanded that back in, in Exodus. It's one of his commands when he gave to all Israel, like, do not consult mediums or spiritists. But he went out and he did it anyway because he was desperate. This made me think about parenting. You know, fear makes us desperate. And if you're a parent, when fear sets up the strongholds in our minds, it affects how we parent our children. And I believe that some of us are not as much afraid of our kids growing up not wanting to be like us as we are afraid of them being just like us when they grow up. We, we, we fear them making the same mistakes like we did when we were their age. We fear them having the same experiences we had. So much so that our parenting becomes controlling because it's not out of faith and trust in God, it's out of fear. I tell you, there are times when I think, Lord, please don't let my daughter experience the things I did as a teen. Please don't let my son do the brain dead things that I did when I, when I was a teenager. I've done some stupid things and I'm thinking, man, my, I, I don't want my kids to go through that. And that fear can, can overtake you. That fear can set in your heart, and we make decisions not out of faith and trusted in the principles that God handed to us. We start to control everything. And what happens when you feel controlled? You want to rebel. You rebel. Because we're not meant to be controlled in that way. And so our nature rebels. Or, even worse, our kids become so compliant that they don't have a faith of their own. They don't learn how to make decisions on their own. They don't develop a need for God or fit and do it all to make mom and dad happy. And that's not good either. We want our kids to worship the true and living God. And God gave us a plan, and it's through his word. And we have to trust God. God doesn't control you, does he? God doesn't control you. You've done everything you want up until this point, good and bad. So why are we controlling our kids? Or in our marriages, we want our husbands to act a certain way. You want your husbands to act a certain way, so what do you do? You manipulate. Because you want to control the situation. Or we want our wives to lay off on the nagging. So what do we do? We control everything. We make all the decisions. We don't ask their input on things. We, we think that that's leading. That's controlling and why do we do it? Because of fear of not seeming like a man. So we want to control everything. That stronghold needs to be demolished in your mind. Here's another one, comfort. This stronghold is tough for most Americans to demolish because our entire culture is centered around it. Americans will fight you to the death. If you threaten to take away their comfort, and some Christians are no different. Some of us rebel against anything we think may make us uncomfortable. You want me to lead what? Who's going to be in that group? Nah, man. 
No speaker English. No. Bro, you English. What are you talking about? I don't speak English anymore. I'm joining the Latin ministry now. We need some teachers in the children's ministry. Teachers? Children? Children? Did you say children? Bro, I don't do well around kids. It makes me uncomfortable. Let me ask you a question. Were you ever uncomfortable in sin? You know, sometimes we can get so used to something that we don't even know we need help. It's like walking into a bathroom. And upon that first entrance, you're like, whoa. What went off in here? But you know what? If you have to use it, you go, right? And then what happens after a few minutes? You adjust, right? And it takes someone else walking in to whoa. Are you all right? Like, you know. And so after being in it for a while, you get used to it. You become comfortable with it. Same thing happens with sin. We can live in the stink of our sin for a long time. And it doesn't smell so bad. It doesn't seem so bad to us because we've been in it so long. And it takes somebody coming in and going, whoa. How long have you been living like this? Has anybody ever talked to you about your pride? Do you realize how self-centered you are? No. It's because no one's ever pointed it out. You know, that happened to God's people one time. Look over at Amos chapter 6. Amos chapter 6, verse 1. Amos chapter 6, verse 1 says, Woe to you who are complacent in Zion. You guys still think about that bathroom, right? Take... Take it captive. Take the thought captive. <laughs> Take the thought captive. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria. You notable men of the foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come. Go to Kalna and look at it. Go from there to Great Hamath and then go down to Gath and Philistia. Are they better off than your two kingdoms? Is their land larger than yours? You put off the evil day and bring near a reign of terror. You lie on your beds and laid with ivory and on lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calf. You strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drunk wine by the bowlfuls and used the finest lotions. But you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. God's people had gotten so comfortable in their stink that they didn't even realize or acknowledge the suffering going on around them. Their thoughts were focused on themselves, living comfortable and cozy lives. You know, we can get so comfortable as time goes on. When's the last time you had someone come to church with you? It's been a long time for some of us, and it hasn't changed because we're comfortable with not bringing anybody, so much so that we come through the doors and it doesn't even bother us that we didn't reach out to anybody all week. We've gotten comfortable. We've become complacent. When it comes to giving, some of us don't sacrifice like we should or give at all for that matter. And it's gone on for so long that you can pass the plate right by you and not even give a second thought that you're not putting anything in it to help forward the kingdom here on earth. You know, I don't know where you stand, where you feel most comfortable, but I just want to warn you that it can lead to complacency. It can lead to complacency. Ask yourself this question, when was the last time I felt uncomfortable for God? You know, Paul dealt with the same stronghold in his life. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 
Second Corinthians 11 verse 23 says, are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind. Paul here is defending his, uh, his apostolic ministry to the Corinthians who, who, who thought he was a false a- uh, apostle. And so here he is defending the fact that God had called him. Jesus himself had called him and appointed him an apostle. He says, I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely and exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Spent the night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. At what point would you have called it quits? At what point would you have said, this is enough? This is not what I was expecting when I signed up to become a Christian. I thought all the suffering would end. I thought all the inconveniences would go away. I thought that life would be comfortable finally. You know, after living through all this, for God, I might add, you would think that Paul would be entitled to some comfort perks, wouldn't you? I mean, if there were anyone besides Jesus in the Bible that you would say, man, you know what? God should answer every single one of his prayer requests. And with a yes, you would think that that's what kind of relationship they would have, right? I mean, I'm thinking, man, Paul is like, Lord, I I just need some food. No problem. Lord, can you help me? Before it even leaves your mouth, Paul, I got you. Yes to everything going forward from here until you come on home to heaven. That was not the case. In fact, in the next chapter, Paul recounts his battle with the personal request that God had denied. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my holo holo. Wait a second, Paul. Why is there even a therefore? Why aren't you upset that God didn't answer your prayers? Don't you deserve that? You know, I think for some of us Christians, we think we deserve something just because we made a little sacrifice here on earth. We think that God should answer yes to every request. That God should give us exactly what we want. If I ask for it because I became a Christian, God should do it. And we live our lives with this stronghold set up in it. And some of us are bitter resentful toward God because he didn't give us a little answered prayer in our favor. You know, Paul, God told Paul, my grace is enough. Simple as that. Now, you might look at that and think, I mean, well, what in the world is God's grace that is so important that he wouldn't answer this man's prayers, that he, he wouldn't remove the thorn from his flesh? That seems, compared to everything that Paul went through, to me, that seems like a a petty thing. Why wouldn't God just say, you know what, yes? But see, when we don't understand how blessed we are to be in a relationship with the Almighty God, that's when we think we need more. 
Paul said, therefore, I will boast about the things that make me weak. Because I am with God. I am in a relationship with God. God found favor on me. I am the worst of sinners. I used to persecute his church. I confirmed the death. I used to drag them to prison. I was an enemy of Jesus. So if God doesn't answer this one prayer, so be it. As long as I get to be with him. I'm telling you, that's got to be our hearts. That's got to be our hearts. You know, Paul realized that being in a favorable relationship with the Lord was enough. Some of us here today are struggling because we think that God owes us something. That Jesus should do a little more than just die on the cross in our place for our sins. Went down to the grave where we're supposed to go. That wasn't enough. We need more. We need more. It's like someone giving you an organ because you're about to die. And you're like, you know what? I appreciate what you did for me, but you think you can loan me $100,000? I really want to buy a house. Always wanted a house. I just gave you a lung. I just gave you a kid. What are you talking about? God gave us life. We have our salvation. There's going to be life for us after death because of what Jesus did. And if that's not enough, then I don't know what else you need, but it ain't going to happen. God's grace is sufficient, and we have got to destroy that and demolish that stronghold that sets itself up to tell us otherwise. You know, Paul's happiness was not tied up in his circumstances. His joy came from knowing that he was living out God's will for his life. Significance. This is another stronghold that needs to be demolished. This excessive need for approval. We need people to, 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 to validate us. We need people to tell us how awesome we are. We need people to acknowledge us. We need approval. And for some of us, if it doesn't come from the right person, it's not good enough. Jesus warns us of setting up these strongholds in our minds in Matthew 6. Verse 1, be careful to not do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Luke 6, verse 26, woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. You know, the the, the key word here in in Luke 6 is all. While being well spoken is a worthy goal, I mean, you don't want people talking bad about you, right? But it's rare that everyone will agree with everything about you. You can't please everybody without compromising some principle somewhere in your life. When we try to please everybody, we compromise a lot. We do things against our our will. We violate our conscience just to make somebody else happy or just to win someone else's approval. We do things not because we really love and we want to serve or we want to, we want to do this because this is what will make God happy. It just makes us feel important. You know, when a person thinks, I must please everyone, they're, they're shaky in their lives. Now, that doesn't mean you need to go around telling everybody No. All right. If someone asks you to serve, no, because I don't want to do my righteousness before you. I'm doing stuff that nobody knows of. You guys, you know what I'm talking about. I think there are times when God wants us to be in the spotlight. Because he wants us to be examples to others. There are times when God will hold up a man or hold up a woman or hold up a couple or hold up a family. If that is God making that clear, then amen, humble out, humbly accept that. But our goal should not to be to be seen and accepted by everybody. We could become trapped into seeking the approval of everyone that you want to impress. And our thoughts become consumed with comparing ourselves to other people. And this, in fact, it makes us hypersensitive. If someone doesn't recognize you or someone doesn't say hello to you, you get offended. Then you start working your way to the crowd to make sure they see you. Hey, I just, 
I'm here. <laughs> or we get hurt if the acknowledgement we seek doesn't come from the specific per- person in a specific way. No, King Saul, he failed to demolish this stronghold in his mind. And after God was raising up David to eventually replace Saul, David defeated Goliath. He did what Saul refused to do. Why? Because it wouldn't bring him. He, he was afraid. He was controlled. He was controlled by another stronghold. He's afraid. David, who didn't care what people thought. Oops, sorry. That's my doomsday device. Say, David was like, look, I'm doing this for God. Who is this guy? He's defying the armies of the living God. No one's going to do anything. I'll do it. Here I am. Send me. That was his heart. That was the heart of God. And so God took David and used David in a powerful way. Now, he also used Saul. If you go back and you look at the life of Saul, Saul was a victorious king. He had victory. He started off humble. But then he took a, he took a turn for the worse because he didn't take care of those, those strongholds in his mind. And they poisoned his heart. And in 1 Samuel 18, 1 Samuel 18 says, As they dance, they sing, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. Right there. But with me, only thousands. That's like an older Christian saying, they're giving credit to this young Christian. He didn't do half the things I did. Don't they know I used to lead zones? That I've helped countless people become disciples. I've served over 10 million communion cups. They never asked me to share communion. How long has Kenny been around and he get to do communion messages? They never asked me, when was the last time? Don't they know who I am? From that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Instead of encouraging our brothers and sisters, we envy them, we get jealous, and we become overly suspicious. You know, I looked forward to the day where another young man will stand in my place to take the Harlem region to a place where I can. That's the dream, that's the vision of every leader in Christ is to replace himself with someone godly, someone more energetic, someone more vi- who has more vision. Now, it ain't going to happen now, because I, I still got something in the tank. But when, it's re- when it, but when the time comes, is what I'm saying. When the time comes, I look forward to that, because that shows that I'm doing my job that I'm impressing the vision of God's kingdom on other young men. That's who we need to be. Not look back at the younger generation and envy them because they're, they have better ideas, because they have more energy. You're not going to be able to do the things you want to do. Have brothers be sleeping in discipling times. Not no. You can't even stay awake for a Bible study. And you're talking about, I'm the, I mean, come on. We need to raise up some of these young. We need to hand over the church to the younger generation. Give them a chance. They just got to be spiritual. That's my only. You got to love the Lord. I ain't going to follow somebody who's who's in it for themselves. You got to love Jesus. That's my only thing, younger generation. Make sure you're doing it for God. You know, we got to take captive these thoughts. I get more recognition at my job than I do at church. I'm offended because you are asked to serve, but it wasn't by that specific person you've been looking for. 
Your talents are not being used to the level that you feel they should be used. That might be a reason, and it might be from God. There's a reason Paul was given that thorn in his face. You remember that? To keep him from becoming what? Conceited. Because God had given him such great revelations. God had to keep Paul humble. He had to keep him humble. And so maybe you're not being used the way you feel like you should be because God needs to keep you humble. And keep that ego of yours in check. So how do we wage this war? We need to take captive these thoughts, and I'm bringing the plane down for a landing. But we got to make them obedient to Christ. We got to make them obedient. Here's some keys to taking every thought captive and making them obedient to Christ. You guys ready? You got to prepare your mind. We must prepare daily for battle. We deal with negative thoughts all the time, every day, all day. So we have to prepare our minds for battle. Satan is constantly attacking our hearts and our minds. We all have blind spots. Some of us have bald spots, but we all have blind spots. We all have blind spots. And we need the Word of God helping us. Protecting our minds, preparing our minds for the spiritual battle. Look at these scriptures here. Colossians 3 verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. Philippians 4 verse 8. We looked at this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Think about those things. 1 Peter 1, verse 13, prepare your mind for action, for action, for moving forward, not for just being stagnant. We have got to be prepared. A lazy mind is an easy target for Satan. I'm telling you, it's not enough to just read your Bible. You need to memorize Scripture. Jesus used Scripture to fight back Satan If Jesus had to do that, how much more do you and I? Even the Pharisees knew scripture. They didn't use it right, but they knew it. We must devote ourselves to our Bible study. We got to be in prayer daily. Talking to God, wrestling with God, asking God to help us to take Take captive these thoughts and to demolish these strongholds. We must be influenced spiritually, daily, books, sermons, retreats, devotional seminars. Be around spiritually minded people. Don't miss church. Make it a priority to be around spiritual people. If you're around unspiritual people most of the time and then you're missing the opportunities to be around spiritual people some of the time, That equals to not being around spiritual people at all. You got, look, I know we're awesome, but you're not that awesome. You can only keep yourself under check, but for so long, you need other people in your life. The second thing is change your mind. I like this quote it says, If you truly want to change your life, you must be willing to change your mind. In Romans 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind has to be changed. You have to get into the habit of changing your mind, changing those thought patterns. It's a cycle. You know what triggers bad thoughts in your mind. You know that if you're up late at night watching TV, that something eventually is going to pop up on the screen that's going to implant a picture in your mind that you don't need in your mind. So you know what? Go to bed or read a spiritual book. For the brothers, read Warrior. It's on sale for $10 outside after service. Go see Eric Darby. We got to allow the Holy Spirit to transform us into new creations. The Bible says that you and I are new creations. It's a process, but we got to work at it. We can't just resist evil thoughts. We got to replace them. If you got evil thoughts towards your spouse, you got to replace them with loving thoughts towards your spouse. 
That doesn't mean you ignore the issue. That just means you replace the evil thoughts. You got evil thoughts towards your kids, your, your, a brother in Christ, a, wor- a co-worker. Replace them with pleasing thoughts. Because otherwise, your attitude towards that person will not change. It will not change. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Ephesians 4.20, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and, and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with the regard of your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by his deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your mind and to put on the new self. You know, if you go to any therapist that's worth his salt, the first thing they try to get you to do is to identify the reasons behind your negative thinking and then to replace those negative thoughts with positive thoughts, with healthy thoughts. If you're dealing with self, uh, self-esteem issues, the thing they tell you to do is, why do you feel this way? Go back to the root of it and now start seeing yourself differently. Change your mind. You can't be a spiritual person if you're thinking unspiritual thoughts all the time. It just doesn't work that way. Make the effort to become more and more like Jesus. If you change one bad attitude at a time, I guarantee you your life will be a lot better. Let's close out with Romans 8 verse 5. It says, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live according with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. You know, if you are not a Christian, I want to encourage you, if you want to win this spiritual war, and it is a spiritual war, you need to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because God has the weapons that you need to win this war. You cannot do it alone. We're fighting wars, we're fighting wars with with human weapons, and we are losing miserably. Because we're fighting the wrong battles and we're using the wrong weapons. Nuclear weapons don't solve problems. They create more. But spiritual weapons not only demolish strongholds, but they set up a fortress of Christ in our lives to help us move forward and to grow into Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian, allow your mind to be controlled by the Spirit. Because as disciples of Christ, we have the mind of Christ and we can love God with all of our mind if we so desire. I love you guys. Thank you for your time and attention.